Sounds better. Morena, morning church. Great to be here. Where would you like me, Rod? So my name's Andrew Bardsley. I've been part of this church for um, quite a long time. Um, and because I always like to know where I'm going, I'm going to um, give you a bit of a heads up and we'll see if we can get this uh, going. Okay, we'll read that. So um, I'm going to do a brief introduction. Uh, I'm going to talk about why I picked this passage, which you might think was a little strange. Uh, Nick and Derek are going to come and read the passage to us. Um, I'm going to unpack the pa- passage. Uh, then I'm going to share with you the main part of today is sharing two pictures. Um, and contrasting those two pictures and hopefully we get some um, application from that Um, so Gene Rhodes um, did an awesome sermon um, quite a few weeks ago I think Rob said it's one of the best he's ever ever heard and um, I'm going to copy Jean because she had family snaps and I thought what better way of introducing myself than if but I'm using my family not not hers so don't don't worry about that Um, this is a photo of a lot of hair. Um, that was very fashionable in, in that day. So that was uh, Jackie and I um, and a couple of little bundles of joy. They were soon joined by two other bundles of joy. Um, and this is our four grown-up daughters. So on the left, we have Georgia, who's at uni, uh, Katie, who's uh, serving with partners in Thailand and Burma at the moment. Uh, then we have Tessa and Courtney on the right. They're both uh, married. All the girls grew up in this church, um, largely when we were over at Purdue Street. Um, all had, I guess, roles in youth group. Courtney was uh, one of the youth pastors here for a while, and Jackie, uh, what's she doing? Um, she was... Um <laughs> Jackie was... Am I still on? Okay, Jackie was um, children's pastor here for, uh, I think, about 10 years uh, b- before Wendy. So that's sort of one, one view of introduction of, of me. Here's a, uh, another one of here. <laughs> Anyone know who this is? Um, so this was taken a few months back. Um, <laughs> in fact, this was taken uh, shortly after I had met and invited, very foolish, I don't know why I did this, this very pretty girl to come and watch me run an, an athletics meeting in Whanganui. She has zero interest in sports, um, but she came along to Cook's Gardens. Um, so this is the, it's actually the new running track in Whanganui, um, pretty famous in New Zealand uh, running track. And I was competing there and she came. Um, my little sister, for some bizarre reason, came as well. Um, and I can still remember where they sat. Uh, 41 years ago, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was uh, it was very exciting. So the miracle was that she agreed to come, and then four years later, uh, this happened. Again, not quite so much here in, in this one, but um, yeah, isn't, isn't she gorgeous? The last photo uh, of the family snaps has um, actually not got me in it, but I'm sort of part of this running group. This church has had a running group for years. In fact, this is, I think... 2004. So who do you recognize in this? 
Bottom left, Stephen Silk. He is an awesome runner. Steve Shallard, bottom right. Bottom middle is Steve Miles, um, somewhat younger. Uh, John Robbo, top left. Um, some of you will remember Richard Hearn. Um, and top right, who's that? Andrew, Andrew Bennett, yeah. So we still meet um, frequently on a Saturday morning to have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally we go for a run. Right, so that's a little a bit of an intro of me, but let's move on to the passage. Seems ages ago now uh, when Rob asked for speakers on Galatians, and I think I thought I was probably going to get something like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I thought, how easy to talk about that. That would be awesome. But no, Charles, Bessus Ox, has got that in a few weeks' time, so make sure you're here for that one. And I get to talk about emasculation. Mm. I have to confess, um, I don't have a lot of experience in emasculation. Um, I'm, I'm not really an expert at all, um, and in fact, we're going to pretty much skip over that. Um, so if, I'm not, if I chose this passage not because of the emasculation piece, why did I pick it? And um, I have to, I'm attracted to the picture of the race. It's one I relate to, um, one that I can find I can easily imagine. When I was young, I loved to run. Um, and I spent a lot of time on athletics tracks. Um, it, was, it was just really cool to compete, um, to, to, to fuel speed. 400 metres, which is once around the racetrack, uh, that was my distance, and I even won a national title in the secondary school's 4x100 event. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, so I'm being self-indulgent in choosing this passage. I thought it'd be great to talk about our Christian journey and comparing it to racing. Um, but something happened along the way in preparing for this, so God had some other ideas. Uh, but first of all, let's actually look at the passage itself, and Nick and Derek, who did an awesome job in um, introducing this whole series on Galatians to us, um, they're going to read the passage to us. So um, do you want it up on screen? Does that help? It could, if, uh, yeah, for people who uh, find it difficult to listen to a little bit, wouldn't it, Nick? Okay. Yeah, it would. All right. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I've got to go back. That's the one, okay. All right, you know what we're here for, Nick? No. Well, we're going to read the passage. Not me to read the passage. No, I'm going to read it. You're just going to sit and listen like you did last time, right? So, here we go. You're, you're into running? Oh, any form of athletics? All right, then you're going to enjoy this passage. All right, here it goes. It says, Galatians 5, 7 to 14. It says, you were running the good race. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. Who cut in to keep you from obeying the truth? He sounds angry. Well, that's a little bit about what the passage is like. He's, he's, you'll see he's really annoyed in this, all right? He says, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, where it says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of the dough. Now he's bread making. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, he's still running, but he's talking about the influence of others here, right? He says, he says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. He is angry. I know, I told you that. He's angry. He says, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumstances, if I am still preaching circumcision, <laughs> that word again, yes, that word again, you didn't like it last time, did you? No? All right. As if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? That's why he's angry. Yes, he's, he's feeling really persecuted. And then he says, 
As for these agitators, I wish they could go the whole way and emasculate themselves. What's that? Back to you, Andrew. <laughs> Good. Okay, so we're moving on to the high-level unpack of the passage. I'm not going into a lot of detail anyway, but our context here has been really well put it last week, that there were some Judaizers in the church who were saying that salvation comes from following the law, e.g. circumcision, our own efforts. But... Paul was saying, the truth is, the gospel story is that Christ came to save us through grace and to give us freedom from the law. Paul says that the Galatians had a splendid start in their journey of faith, but that someone had cut in and distracted them, led them astray into legalism. In the races, each runner was to stay in their assigned lane, but some runners would cut in on their competitors and try and get them off course. This is what the Judaizers had done to the Galatian believers. They cut in on them and forced them to change direction and to go on a spiritual detour. So verse 8, um, it was not God who did this because he had called them to run faithfully and the lane marked grace. We have a yeast analogy here. So the, the yeast analogy is how just a small amount of yeast, just as a small amount of yeast works through the whole batch of dough, um, a small amount of false teaching of sin has the same impact on us and our lives and on the church. Uh, verse 11, we see that Paul was clearly being accused, bizarrely it seems, of supporting the practice of circumcision. He corrects that belief in the strongest of terms uh, later in verse 12. Um, slightly strange that the, the cross is referred to as a stumbling block um, and giving offence. So what, what's meant here? Um, so the Judaizers, in their minds, it was their effort to follow the law. Their, their oh, I'm, I'm working hard, and from my effort, I'm going to get salvation. So if that's how we think, if that's how they think, the message of, of the cross is an offense to that. It turns it on its head. Um, then on to verse 12. So this is a very graphic way to express Paul's frustration with the competing Jewish authorities and their misleading of the Galatians away from Christ. So he says, don't just stop with the foreskin, go ahead and cut it all off. If cutting away a little skin makes you righteous, then cut away all of the skin. So one commentator I read said that the statement drips with sarcasm. So um, I think this is possibly as, as frustrated and cross as you see Paul. Um, he's um, so passionate about the truth of the gospel that anyone who corrupts it, um, he, 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 he wants nothing to do with that. So that's the passage in a nutshell. Um, as I've been preparing, there are two clear pictures that I want to dive into. Uh, one is that of racing, uh, directly from the passage, um, but the other one has come up from previous speakers, and it's one I just can't get away from um, on the face of it. I don't like it, but I know that I need to put that to you as well. But first of all, the easy one. So the picture of a race. This is a picture that I love. Um, this is the starting blocks probably for the uh, four by 400 meters. Um, 
I love the, the simplicity and the purity of the idea of a race. Um, the idea that there's a competition, that there's a goal. It's easy to see your progress, uh, to measure where you are. Um, it's easy for me to picture putting in the work um, to win the race. Uh, the idea of training just seems natural. Um, I gravitate to the picture of the race, um, and when I look at the way that Paul uses the picture of the race to compare it to our Christian walk, uh, these are the questions that comes to mind. So exactly what does Paul mean by race? Are we all in the same race? Are we competing? What happens at the end of the race? What happens if we don't win? What happens if we don't finish? And what does cutting in mean? So I'm seeking to sort of touch on each of those as I, as I go through. The Olympics represents the pinnacle of athleticism, training, and competitiveness, going all the way back to ancient times. Paul was fond of athletic illustrations, and he used them often in his letters. His readers were familiar with the Olympic Games, as well as other Greek athletic contests, and always, that always included foot races. It's important to note that Paul never uses the image of the race to tell people how to be saved. That's not what he's talking about with, with the race. He's always talking to Christians about how to live the Christian life. A contestant in the Greek games had to be a citizen before they could compete. We become citizens of heaven through faith in Christ, not by the race. Um, once we had become citizens of heaven, Christ uh, puts, on us, puts us on our course and we run to win the prize. We do, do not run to be saved, but we run because we are already saved and want to fulfill God's will in our lives. As a Christ follower, our goal is to be Christ-like. A true believer demonstrates the reality of God's work in their heart by enduring all sorts of tests in the development of Christ-likeness. The believer is in training much as an Olympic athlete must train for a race. That is why the writer of the Hebrews exhorted, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is portrayed as the finest runner, the one who set the pace, our model and hero in life's race. Just as a runner in the Olympics must dispense of anything that would hinder their running, uh, we must disentangle ourselves from anything that gets in our way from sin. As a runner in the games, um, we must keep our eyes on the finish line, um, and for us, our finish line is, is Christ. So, our race is to every day push to make Jesus number one in our lives. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. We are followers in the race set before us, we are racing to be as near Jesus as we can be. Our goal is to be where Jesus is. Our race path is wherever Jesus leads us. Jesus has already won the race. So if I come back to those questions, um, so what's the race? Uh, to be like Jesus, to get closer and closer to him. Are we all in the same race? Absolutely, we are all called to be like Jesus, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't give us specific tasks or there may be a specific calling uh, that he's given you. Are we competing? Uh, not against each other. In fact, we are on the same team. We are meant to encourage each other in our race. 
we're competing against the distractions of the world and false teaching. What happens at the end of the race? We get to be with Jesus forever. What happens if we don't win? We've already won because Christ has already won. What happens if we don't finish? So if we die today, um, which is probably before most of us would have thought we would finish our races, I know that's the case for me, um, does that mean that we have failed in any way? It's like, absolutely not. Uh, Jesus has already run, won the race for us. So what does cutting in mean? Um, anyone or anything that takes away our focus on following Jesus. So in the case of the Galatians, it was false teachings about the law. Um, for us, it's the modern distractions in our lives. It's us allowing sin to creep into our lives. Um, I have to confess with this analogy of the race that there's a part of me that has an unhealthy view of it in relation to my um, Christian faith. Um, one of the, the reasons I'm attracted to the picture um, of the race is exactly what Paul is warning against. So there's a part of me that loves to strive, it loves to achieve, loves to compete. Um, there's a part of me that thinks that if I put, on the effort, put in the effort, I will get a reward, that, that Christ will love me more, um, that my salvation is somehow related to the amount of effort that I put in in the race. Um, and yet Paul is saying that is the opposite from truth. My salvation has got nothing to do with my day-to-day striving in my faith. The work of the cross is complete. Um, Christ cannot love me any more than he does today. So the right way of thinking about the picture for me, um, and this is what I aspire to, I'm not saying I'm anywhere near this, but I want to be so in love with Jesus that I want to be in his race. And I don't care about um, what I have to put in um, to be in that race. It's not a sacrifice. I am all in, willingly. I'm sitting on my father's lap and gazing at him, loving me, delighting in me. And my only response has to be, what's next, Daddy? So our second picture. Uh, this is the one of sitting at the, the feet of Jesus. I, I don't particularly like this um, this version, there's aspects I like, which I'll talk about in a, in a moment. So um, uh, let me read you the, the passage uh, so from Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I think we can see Martha in the background, there's fish and stuff to do and um, yeah, she, she's, she's busy. Um, so Martha came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I think she's frustrated. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. On the face of it, this seems a very different picture than the race. It's not part of the scripture assignment to me today, um, but I just can't shake this picture from my thinking. Um, I was discussing this picture with a friend a few weeks ago, um, and she said in a very exasperated manner, 
Oh, that Mary Martha story makes me cross. Someone's got to do the work. Those meals are not going to cook themselves. Um, it's something I relate to a lot. So as I've thought about this picture, the, the, um, I guess the, the types of questions and thoughts that have come to mind. Uh, so was Martha in a race? A race to serve, maybe, or to please, to offer hospitality? I could imagine Martha having a long to-do list. I have a long to-do list, updated daily. Um, I could imagine her providing awesome hospitality. She would get things done. Um, hard work, serving, excelling, being organised. In fact, I want to be on her team. Um, she sounds great. Um, surely, surely, surely she is winning the race. And yet Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. So there's something about what I place value on um, that Jesus is turning on its head. So is the race just about being, just about sitting, waiting, doing nothing? So both Mary and Martha loved Jesus. Um, they both had different personalities. They both chose differently in their focus. The reason I chose this particular um, image, I'll go back to it, was when I see the look of, in Mary's eyes, um, I'm reminded of a lot of what's in my favorite book, Tattoos on the Heart. I think I've probably spoken about this before, but um, yeah. What this book is brilliant at doing um, is helping me to understand um, a lot about me needing to delight in the one who delights in me. Um, behold the one beholding you and smiling. We have a father who just can't take his eyes off us. And our response to that is that look in Mary's eyes. He, he loves us so much, our response to him is to love him back. Another thought about this passage is... Um, this is me justifying the racing thing, I think. If you look at Paul's life, he doesn't spend a lot of time waiting at the feet of Jesus. Paul's a doer. He gets things done. He gives it all. He, he writes, he does, he speaks. Um, I think, hmm, oh, maybe I don't have to. But I'm not called to be Paul-like. I'm called to be Christ-like. And if I look at how Jesus spent his time on earth, one of his most important priorities um, was uh, spending time uh, with his father of praying. Um, it must have been, when you're writing an account of something which has happened, it's easy to talk about the things that are done, the doing things, the actions, the chopping off the ear, the um, preaching the message. It's quite hard to talk about waiting. Some, and the fact that we get a clear picture of Jesus, um, he had a lot to do, he had to save the world, and yet he spent a huge amount of time with his father. So making sense of the two pictures, how do we reconcile the run the good race picture with the sitting at the feet of Jesus picture? Jackie says I don't have to reconcile them, they're just pictures. Um, not every story in the Bible you can line up and cross-tabulate. I think, okay, but I think there's more than that. Um, Barbie is doing a series on uh, the different personality types, and, and maybe it's that some personality types love the, the running picture, the sort of more like the Paul one, and other personalities, they, they, they like the Mary picture, and, and maybe that's it. 
Um, but I think for me, and actually I think for all of us, there's something in both of these pictures for everyone. Um, in Mark 12, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And maybe in Mary and Martha, we can see them both loving Jesus with different parts of their being. Uh, I think Jesus is expecting us to love him with all of our being. For all of us, regardless of our personality types, to love him with all of our being. Mary, I'm imagining this, doesn't say it, didn't stay sitting at Jesus' feet forever. She got up. She did stuff. She carried on with life. She did tasks. And I imagine when she did, she was different because she had spent time at the feet of Jesus. I imagine she had more Jesus in her. Waiting at the feet of Jesus doesn't mean that we don't do stuff, that we don't have to-do lists, um, that we don't strive. Um, but maybe it means that when we do, we are different. When we do stuff, we do it slightly differently than we would otherwise. And in some cases, we do different stuff. That what we're striving for, in fact, will be different. Waiting at the feet of Jesus happens at the right time. There are times when it's right to stop and to wait at the feet of Jesus, to seize these moments, to choose to seize these moments. I find that hard. Um, I'm on my to-do list, and I don't often have on my to-do list stop. Um, and I think that's, that's my challenge uh, to, to myself. But to stop and to simply be silent and to breathe in his love. Jean, a few weeks ago, talked about uh, being clothed in Christ. She challenged us, you are baptized into Christ, fully immersed in him. Dress in the wardrobe God chose for you. So what better way to be clothed in Christ than to sit at his feet? Um, my second to last picture um, is a little somber. This was um, me and my siblings. Uh, March of this year, we interred my mother's ashes. Um, and you probably can't see it there, but my mum and my dad agreed that on the tombstone, they'd have a shared tombstone that says, well done, good and faithful servants. And this phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, is one that I've always wanted on my tombstone. But as I've been preparing this passage, this message, it's, um, it's hit me that I think a whole bunch of my motivation is wrong because there's a hint of me which is thinking, ooh, if I'm striving, if I'm working hard, then he's going to say, well done, then I would have earned something. And I'm also thinking that when he's pleased with me will be in the future. But I think the reality is knowing that God can't love me more than he does today. He's not waiting to say it. In fact, he's saying to all of us, well done, good and faithful servants. His love doesn't depend on what we do. His, his love is due to his grace, his generosity. So how do we reconcile the two pictures? Perhaps waiting at the feet of Jesus, stopping just to delight in his delight in you, is the most important activity that you can do in the race set before you. If the race is about becoming Christ-like, then what activity, what training could be more important than being with Jesus?
So is there any application from this? So um, God made us all. He made us unique. Um, he knows every hair on your head. He knitted us together in our mother's wombs. Um, he delights in our uniqueness. Uh, for some of you, the picture of the race, striving, setting goals, measuring progress, galvanized action, that's your comfort zone. That's, that's me. Um, this coming week, my challenge to you um, is to celebrate the awesome person that you are, but also to stop, to breathe in, to breathe out, to be still, to enter into the presence of your creator, however you do that, to breathe in God, to breathe in God so that when you breathe out, others will smell the fragrance of his love. My challenge is to find your inner Mary. For others of you, the picture of the race just doesn't resonate. You're thinking, I don't want to be in a race. I don't want to run. I'm thinking of Jackie on this one. Um, so if you relate more naturally to the, perhaps the picture of Mary, then in this coming week I'd love you to, as you spend time with Jesus, to ask him what he wants you to do. It could be a new thing or a reminder of something he's asked you to do previously. Pray that you would have his heart and to see the world through his eyes and that your part in the world and, and to see your part in his world. Where you lead, I will follow. I'm going to close in prayer. Behold the one who can't take his eyes off you. God, be the breath inside our breath. Help us to realize that where we stand, where we sit, where we drive, where we run, is holy ground because you are there. You are in us, loving us, delighting in us, just exactly as we are. We sit at your feet and marvel at this love. Lord, your divine love is incessantly restless until it returns all woundedness into health, all deformity into beauty, all embarrassment into laughter. Show us how we can be part of your restoration work. Lord, you have called us by name and we are yours. Amen.